So about six months ago, I started asking people, I said, you know, it's been uh, almost 10 years we've been doing these fall series, big splash, you know, we got a book and daily readings and, you know, video supplemental stuff and lots of emphasis on small groups and we do all these things. I go, what, you know, we've, we've done fence posts and the life of Christ and seven deadly sins and broken and all of this. So what's been the most helpful of all the things that we've done? And uh, what I kept hearing was, well, what I really liked were those little comedy videos you did in the seven deadly sins. <laughs> And I'm like, you're, you're serious? That's what you remember of all the things that we've done? And they go, yeah, well, you know, when you make a fool out of yourself, we, we, like, we like that. So, so uh, we didn't do them last year for the Broken series f- for some obvious reasons. There just wasn't a lot of easy, low-hanging fruit, you know, things to make fun of during that series. But uh, for better or worse, they're back. Part of this package that we're trying to pull together uh, to encourage you to jump in and bring your friends. So, um, you heard a couple passages of Scripture read out of Isaiah and out of Matthew that frame more generally the entire series. What I want to do is read two additional passages that speak more directly to today's topic of resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. And uh, one of them uh, comes from Luke. They're both very short. Uh, Luke 12, we were here not long ago, it's a parable, and uh, so it's told by Jesus, and he says, um, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance of harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. The second passage is actually um, not much of a passage. So this one obviously is, I mean, Jesus starts off talking about greed. But but there's an, an emphasis there not heard very often in uh, this youth-saturated culture in which we live, that we're, we're going to die, and we need to shine our headlights out beyond the grave because life does not end at the end of this life. And so we have to cultivate that kind uh, of an eternal perspective. Uh, Moses very wisely uh, Pray, God, teach me to number my days, right? We've already seen this referenced in the art. Teach me to number my days that I might develop, I might cultivate a heart of wisdom. So, so I think that obviously, it's sort of obvious how that connects to this whole resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. The next passage is not really a passage, it's just two words. <laughs> and they occur in many places. It's Jesus walked. Now, it may not strike you as all that profound. Uh, they show up all over the place. So you, you've undoubtedly, if you've read the Gospels, you've read them. And in our passage in Luke, recently we've been seeing Jesus was in Galilee and he walks down to Jerusalem. But they have uh, been disruptive to me lately because uh, I don't walk many places. Maybe you do, but I generally just get in the car. And uh, the pace of life is just doesn't allow a lot of walking. But walking tends to be times of uh, assessment and reflection. 
Like, let's, let's do a little experiment here. I, I'm gonna, in about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And when you believe a minute has gone by, and I'm not interested in you pulling out your iPhones and, you know, seeing if you can nail it. And I don't even want you to count. I just want you to just go with your gut. When you think a minute has gone by, uh, and I'm going to time us, then um, I want you to raise your hand. And uh, so, uh, yeah, okay, here we go. The stopwatch. So, uh, just raise your hand, keep your eyes closed, and I'll, I'll uh, stop us uh, in just a little bit. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, okay, begin, and, and uh, you're just going to, with your eyes closed and your head down, you're going to wait, and when you think a minute's gone by, you're going to raise your hand. Okay? So, uh, let's close our eyes and bow our heads and begin. Okay. So I used to do this, uh, when I was a consultant, I used to do some corporate training, and I uh, had read that the, the more hurried up people are, the more stressed people are, the more they underestimated uh, the, the, the time of a minute. And uh, this guy said that he'd had people come in at seven seconds. Last night, uh, <laughs> last night I had somebody come in at 17 seconds. To, this morning, the uh, first hand went up at 19 seconds, so a lot of hands started to go up between 30 and a lot of hands at 40 seconds. So uh, I'm not going to identify who raised their hand at 19 seconds. But if you thought that that was like a five-minute gap, I didn't even actually go a full minute. Uh, and by the way, if you didn't get around to raising your hand, if you could, uh, if you could drink some coffee before you show up next week, I would <laughs> like a little bit uh, more of a chance here. So... But I actually did that for two reasons. One, just because I want us to be aware that we're living in a very sped-up moment. But secondly, because I was very interested in just seeing if there was any reaction to the silence. We don't get much silence these days. Some of you might say, well, I don't walk any place, really, but I do drive by myself. Maybe that's reflective time. I don't find it to be nearly as reflective as walking. But also, my observation is that very few people sit in a car in silence, right? The radio goes on, you got iPods, and you got iPhones, and you got all kinds of other stuff going on. And so, I just... As we sort of begin this whole series, I just want to say that that the lack of an eternal perspective, which which sort of couples with 
with a, uh, a hurry-up pace of life at this moment has combined to place us in a unique moment where we have some unique challenges. Now, let me just uh, let me back up and, and, and get a, a running start here. Because I'm, I'm selling today. I'm, I'm trying, let me be very clear, I'm trying to change your behavior. I have an agenda. Uh, I want to I move you. I want to encourage you to take some risks. I want you to do some things that are different. And the fact of the matter is, you are where you are right now. Your soul has been formed or malformed in various ways uh, because of what you've done. And the trajectory that you're on, for most of us, is pretty well established. So you can sort of look ahead and figure out how this thing plays out. If you want to cultivate a more dynamic, intimate, deep relationship with God, then the chances are you're going to have to do something different. And, and that's why I'm pushing. So um, I have four points that I want to make for this. Number one, it starts with God. Uh, it always starts with God and with his love. Right? That's, that's the genesis for all of this. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, right? God loves you and he wants you to lean in. He desires more of your heart. He wants more of your life. Now, my experience is that when I ask people, if God were to show up and say something to you, what do you think he would say? That a lot of people say something like, uh, stop it. That's what God would say. Or grow up, or oh good grief, or can't you do better, right? There, there's a general uh, understanding that God is displeased with me and what I've done. And, and so I, I went back and I was looking at, at uh, God doesn't speak audibly very often in Scripture. But I was going back and I was struck by the fact that when he does break the silence, Even when he's speaking to profoundly broken people, deeply flawed people, like Moses, who's in the desert, right, who's fled Egypt, who's walked away from all the privilege because he was a hothead and in a moment of anger he killed somebody. And now he has to feel like, my life is over, I've lost my influence, here I am, I'm discounted. When God shows up to talk to Moses, there are words of invitation, there are words of love. The same thing happens with Jacob, who is a scoundrel, right? Jacob is a, Jacob is a mischievous, conniving, double-crossing weasel. And when God talks to Jacob, right, when God meets with Jacob, there are words of affirmation and invitation. God loves you. It's not because we are lovable. God knows the truth. It's not because we're good that he loves us. It's because he's good and loving that he loves us. So God loves you, whoever you are, wherever you are, and he wants a bigger part of your life. God wants you to lean in. That's point number one. There's a, it's a cliche, it's been said so many times, but it's worth noting, Blaise Pascal, 17th century French philosopher, mathematician, said, we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart, and our, our, our heart is empty until it finds its rest. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest with God. God wants to bring that rest and restoration to your life. 
Point number two. There are obstacles in the way of this. Now, there's always obstacles in the way of this. Oftentimes, those obstacles are just standard stuff, right? It's our sin. It's our brokenness. It's our pride and ego and greed and anger and all those things. But there are also unique obstacles. And and these obstacles are are, uh, sort of very very culturally laden, and, and they change in different seasons of, of life. And one of the things that's interesting about these obstacles that are unique to various times and places is that some people don't see them at all. Because they're living in that culture, they're completely oblivious to the unique challenges that that culture presents. Other people are completely consumed by them. And they think that they, are, uh, that they are the biggest obstacles that anybody has ever faced. Um, I went back and, uh, and reread the opening line of Charles Dickens' famous uh, book, A Tale of Two Cities. Right? It's the best of times, it's the worst of times. Right? It was an age of wisdom, it was an age of foolishness. It was an epic of belief, it was an epic of incredulity. It was a season of light, it was a season of darkness, it was the springtime of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going straight to heaven, we were all going straight the other way. And then he says this, In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree only. In other words, he's, he's making fun of the fact that a lot of people, no matter, what, no matter when they live, right, the noisiest authorities are always saying, this is the best moment to be alive, or this is the worst moment to be alive. It's never been this good, or it's never been this bad. Right Now, depending upon which end of the radio dial, you have your radio turned to, you hear one or the other. Right? Those people that say this is the best time will talk about all the upsides of, of, of medical advances and technology and driverless cars and GPS and oh my goodness, and we've got, you know, we, we've got all the upsides of, of the success of, of capitalism and the dramatic decrease in abject poverty. Uh, we've got general advancements going on in terms of human rights. Other people will say, no, this is the worst moment you could be alive. We got the collapse of the families. We got addictions spiraling out of control in all kinds of directions. We've got uh, escalating crime, ISIS, debt, internet porn. You know, you just, you hear all these things that make, this is the worst time to be alive. So I just want to say, look, I don't think it's the best time to be alive. I don't think it's the worst time to be alive. But I do think it's a unique time to be alive. And part of the uniqueness of this unique moment is that we are living, you and I are living in a moment that is tragically, remarkably shallow. And it is cultivating people who are shallow. Now, maybe not you. Maybe you're already a person of great depth. But it's just worth noting that we're living in a country that spends more money on beauty aids than it does on education, right? We're living in a country where many people are... uh, really defined as consumers, right? I mean, so here's just an interesting observation point. Many of you are consuming a worship service, which isn't what used to happen, 
right? But you analyze the music, you analyze the sermon. Is it, is it helpful for me? Is it moving me? And, and you, you, you are making an assessment based on you. That's not what is supposed to happen in a worship service, right? God is the audience, not you. We're all worshipers worshiping God. But, but we've just, that's the culture in which we live. And it just goes in all kinds uh, of directions. We are consuming, many people will consume more entertainment this week than previous generations consumed in a lifetime. We're just being sort of passively uh, amused. We, um, we are a country that is much more interested in curves and abs than it is in character and compassion. I started, uh, when I was consulting, I wrote a management column, started in 1990. The, it was a publication out of L.A., and the editor said, I want 4,000 words every month. Okay? So I was writing for a few years, I wrote a 4,000-word column. And then he comes back and he says, you know what? People aren't reading 4,000-word columns anymore. I want 2,000 words. Okay? So then a couple years later, he says, you know what? I need 1,200 words. And then a few years after that, he goes, I need 800 words. And then a few years after that, he said, 400 words, and I quit. I said, I can't develop a point in 400 words. I mean, I can make an outlandish, provocative statement, underline it, put an exclamation mark, but I can't support it. And, and now we don't have 400-word columns. We've got 140-character tweets going out. Right? And then Wired Magazine, two weeks ago, announced that, according to a recent study, attention spans, which have been plummeting, and 2,000 were 12 seconds, are now down to 8.4 seconds. It also noted that uh, biologists believe that a goldfish has a 9-second attention span. <laughs> which means I have a better chance of keeping a goldfish with me throughout the course of a sermon than I do uh, some of you. So it's, it's, um, it's just a different day in which we live. And you may not be a shallow person. But um, we have to understand that we're living in a culture that's moving very quickly. We're getting bombarded with all kinds of stimulus. And the result is some unique challenges. And that leads to the third point. We have to go deep. We have to intentionally choose to go deep. Now, this has always, in one sense, been the case for Christ's followers. We can't just drift, right? We are called to a different ethic. We're called to be part of a different kingdom. We're called to very intentionally be people of love and grace and service. And so we have to, we have to march to a different drummer, so to speak. We take our, take our orders in light of a, of a very different mandate. But I think that, um, I think that culture, which is mixed, right? There's good things about being alive today and bad things about being alive today. I think that we've got a growing set of things that make being good a challenge today. But I think culture is also picking up speed and becoming more invasive. And, and consequently, we have to be uh, more vigilant. And, my, and, and the first spark of this for me, this whole idea of doing a series on deep, came a couple years ago when I heard a, a pastor, Tim Keller out of New York, say that uh, his wife had come to him recently and said, Quote, we're not going to make it. And, and he says, what do you mean? She says, we're not going to make it. The pressures are growing, and our, the cadence of our life 
is not going to, to sustain us much longer. And so Keller argued that he had to go back, or he didn't argue, but he said he had to go back and change sort of the cadence of his week to, uh, to, to, to redo some things and to expand sort of his personal study time, Bible reading time and devotional time in order to just, quote, stay in the same place. Right? So the, the amount of, of, of spiritual or moral muscle that is necessary to sort of stay in the same place is going up. And, and that, is one of the, uh, that is one of the underlying ideas that is informing this series. So if you read the first couple chapters of the book, uh, then you know that I presented a handful of ways that we are responding to a culture that is becoming more invasive and faster. Uh, some people, I call them the frenetics, are simply trying to keep up with everything, right? So you, you're a frenetic, and you get up early, and you're multitasking all day, and you're hard charging, right? And, and you're just trying to, you're trying to do it all. You're just trying to stay up with whatever is expected of you. You, by the way, there's many, <laughs> there's many frenetics in this room. You're a frenetic if you've ever let uh, unused vacation go by, right? You're a frenetic if you've ever checked your email in the middle of the night, uh, you, you know, there's just a lot of people here that are frenetics. You're trying to do it all. There's a second group of people who look at the frenetics and say, oh, those people are idiots. I'm not going to try and stay up. I'm, I'm simply not going to try and, and keep up with that crazy pace of life. However, instead of trying to cultivate a, a vital, dynamic, growing relationship with God, to, to develop an inner world that is strong and robust and informed by, by, uh, by the vision of an eternal life and, and the, the teachings and the example of Christ. Instead of going in that direction, these people would say, I'm just going to watch, binge watch Netflix, you know, and, and just kick back and, and get better on uh, video games. Or, and it's probably not a conscious decision. It's probably not that anybody who's a veg tech says, I'm just going to veg out with my life. But that's just what happens. Okay. Then there's a third group that, that believes that culture is thin and it's growing a little bit too shallow for them. And they want more out of life. And there's, there's a sense that, that something is missing. But they're not willing, uh, for whatever reason, to sort of engage with traditional organized religion. And so they talk about being spiritual but not religious. So I call these, these people the SBNRs, spiritual but not religious, spinners. And, and uh, my observation of, of most spinners is that they embrace a life that looks very much like the life they've been living, but they just slow down a little bit and they, they do a little bit of yoga and, you know, whale music and drink tea. And there's just a, there's a handful of things, almost none of which is, is calling for much sacrifice, right? It's pretty much an endorsement of, of their politics, their views, their life with just a little bit less activity. And then there's a, a fourth group that just says, okay, I don't like what's going on. Honey, uh, grab the kids. Let's lock the doors and shut the windows and just try and, and, and uh, withdraw within ourselves. So I'm not the only one making these observations, by the way. Uh, I, I, David, um, David Brooks, the 
a secular Jew, New York Times uh, columnist, has recently come out with a book called The Road to Character in which he, first of all, confesses that he's a very shallow person and very frustrated by how shallow he is and complains that culture is making it increasingly hard to be a good person and to develop character and compassion. And uh, so there's a lot of people that are sort of making these observations today. But, but what is perhaps a little bit different about what I'm saying than what I'm seeing many people say is that the way forward for us is to go deep. The way forward in a culture that is shallow is that we have to intentionally decide we are going to build an inner world that is strong enough to shape our outer world. As opposed to being people whose outer world is going to dictate what's going on in their heart, right? To be people who are going to say, I'm going to choose through, through, through a, a number of habits and practices, through cultivating a, a prayer life, to, for being intentional, I'm going to nurture a relationship with God that is going to help form me in ways that I am making different kinds of decisions and living a different kind of life. And so um, my subtext is we've got to do that now because the pace is picking up. And a failure to sort of step up means we might not even stay in the place that we're at. And that leads to the fourth big point, and that is that deep is hard. Okay, so I've said God loves you. He wants you to lean in. He wants, to, he wants to be a bigger part of your life. Number two, there's always obstacles in doing this uh, th- that are some standard and some unique. We've got some unique obstacles because the culture is becoming more invasive and, and we're becoming shallower people. Uh, that the way forward is to go deep. And now I'm saying deep is a challenge. And, and I hope that you picked up a little bit of that just in uh, the passage in Matthew 16. That, um, that was read. Jesus uh, saying, right, um, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Interestingly, in the Greek, the, the word for disciple and the word for discipline have the same root. And so it, it's, it, the point is, I hope, obvious. We don't fall into this by accident. Right? We, we have to be disciplined. We don't, without thinking about it, become a great musician or become a great mathematician. Right? Those are disciplines that you have to invest time in. And a similar kind of dynamic is true when it comes, uh, when it comes to our life. And we're going to see that developed also in the book of Proverbs. So the book of Proverbs, most of them written by uh, King Solomon, it has four characters. And, and, you know, if you study the book of Proverbs, for a, for a while it seems very disconnected, just like a bunch of random statements. But over time, some themes begin to emerge. And there are four characters in the book of Proverbs that that keep being referenced. The first is the naive person or simple person. And this often refers to just a child who is, they're not wise. They're just a child. They They don't understand how things work. The second is a fool. And a fool is somebody, not, it doesn't reflect IQ, 
a fool is somebody who just keeps making bad choices. So you can be a really, really smart fool. Uh, Then the third person is a mocker, uh, a scorner. And this is somebody who is, who is taken being a fool to a whole new level and actually wants other people to become fools. And they're, they're, they're trying to cultivate that. And then the fourth person is a wise person. Okay? So what, what's going on, when, as you read through this, you realize that there is, uh, Solomon has a desperate need to, to say to the naive person, get wisdom right? Figure out how life works. Get wisdom. I always sort of thought that a lot of of Proverbs was being addressed to the fool, and a good part of it is. But there's a sense in which the fool is a fool and isn't going to take good wisdom. And so there's a lot of emphasis on saying uh, to the naive and the simple, and some to the fool, get wisdom. And, And in the context of saying that, Next week's message is going to be on wisdom, and then we're going to have one on discipline, because there's a lot about, you know, <laughs> charging hard, uh, and then we're going to have one on, on insight. Where do we gain uh, insight into what wisdom actually is and how it works? And then there's one on sin, because uh, Solomon talks a lot about sin, and initially he talks a lot about sexual sin. He's writing to his, to his son. Uh, that's sort of the context for the Proverbs. So his son is a young man, so sexual temptation is a big deal uh, to him. And so there's a lot about sexual sin. But we're going to look at sexual sin, but we're going to look at sin more generally. And then the last one is about friends. Because if you, uh, hang, out with the right, if you hang out with the right people, they pull you up. And if you hang out with the wrong people, they pull you down. Right? And we see that with little kids. We just haven't really always appreciated how much it's happening in our life as well. And so the book of Proverbs is going to sort of be our guide uh, for this. So the goal here is that we are going to grow deep. Now, you might ask, well, Mike, how exactly does that work? Right? How do we grow deep? How do I cultivate this kind of ongoing dynamic relationship with God. Well, there's a lot of things uh, that I think come into play here. We've already heard um, this idea in a sermon on resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Again, this idea, we've got to take the long view. A lot of what can consume us, if we're not careful, are things that we will not even, in this life, think ultimately mattered. And so we want to we live today in light of eternity, Psalm 90. We want to number our days. Um, if I was asked that question, I might come at it differently and say, well, it depends on who you are. How do you grow deep? Well, that depends on who you are. Now, I don't want to overplay this statement because we don't get to decide how we grow close to God. God will meet us wherever we are, but, but he's in charge. And so when we look at Scripture, we see that he develops things along a certain path, right? We, we come to an understanding of who he is. We come to an understanding of our brokenness and sin. We repent. We, we, we get baptized. I mean, there's a path. We get involved in a church, right? There's, a, there's Bible reading and prayer. There's, there is a path that he lays out. And so I, I want to acknowledge that. And we all need to be on that path. But there's also a sense in which 
uh, you need to be a student of your own behavior. Some of you will say, well, I feel closest to God during worship, during music. Music is what really sort of elevates me. Others will say, I feel closest to God out in nature, right? When I take a long walk out in, in, the, in the woods, and I just am thinking about creation. Maybe it's a beach or something. That's when I feel closest to God. Some will say, I feel closest to God when I'm studying about God. Others might say, I feel closest to God when I'm serving, especially in areas of justice. Okay? Well, look, all those things are valid. And, and you're going to need to be a, a, a student of your own behavior. How is it that you best relate to God? Another thing that I just... For me, in the last six months, I've been, um, I have been struck in a new way by the whole idea of cultivating my soul. Uh, in a book I read by Susan Phillips called The Cultivated Life, she makes the observation that we are living today in a circus and that, and that what the Bible talks often about is a garden. Right? And so a circus is some place where there's, you know, three-ring circus, there's three acts going on at any given time, and it's all now, and it's all loud, and, and you don't do anything but watch. Whereas a garden, right, is something that you do, and it's quiet, and it's got a longer-term path to it. And then, as I've been reading, I'm just struck, you, you start with the Garden of Eden, but you've got all these talks about you know, trees and roots and sowing and reaping. And in Isaiah 58, it talks about, you know, if we pursue God, we can be like a well-watered garden. I mean, there's just all this language, all these metaphors that talk about cultivating our life. So I think about, if you can imagine, I'm a pastor. I think about how it is that people grow a lot. So I've got a lot of ideas. But during this series, we're going to try and make this really, really simple. So we've, we're, we're leading with three big asks. Number one, that you, that you get the book and you make reading through the Proverbs and the devotions that are found in that book part of the daily cadence of your life, right? If you haven't developed a daily quiet time or time with God or something like that, we're saying you got to jump in. You might be spending an hour a day doing your own study, great, great, great. Keep going. But, but we're all going to be together for the next six weeks. So, so get the book. Uh, the books are, are out in the lobby. They're $10. If you don't have $10, just get a book. Just take a book. But we want you to read through every day, five days a week, there's going to be Proverbs and devotions around these themes of, of wisdom, discipline, insight, sin, and friends. So that's number one. Number two, to be committed to showing up uh, at a worship service. They happen every seven days, and it's part of God's plan, right? It's part of the cadence of life, and it's, it's part of what he wants us to do. And so the sermons are all going to be connected to this. And then the third thing is to be in a small group. So if you've been in a small group, great, get it going again. Invite some other people in. Maybe you're going to lead a small group. But, but these discussions are designed to help you go and take things to another level. So those are the three big things. There's other things that are going to be happening as well. For instance, if you do not have uh, a satisfactory, a, 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 a functioning, successful sort of devotional time every day, 
then I want to encourage you. I'm going to be leading a workshop on how to spend time every day with God, right? So you could come uh, to this workshop. We're going to have another um, opportunity for those of you who, who say, you know, I sort of got that down, but I'd like to go a little bit further. We're going to have uh, some, some practical, uh, some practicums of, of how to spend a day in prayer. So these will be smaller gatherings of people. And, you know, you don't actually pray all day uh, at a day of prayer, but, but you, you're together and there's guided times of prayer. And so we want to we wanna offer that opportunity. Some of you might say, you know, I sort of need a little bit better understanding of where I'm at. And so we're going to have people that will be willing to meet with you and just listen to you talk about your story and where you're at. And you might say, I've been stalled for 20 years, in all honesty. I'm not seeing a lot of progress in my own relationship with God. So we're going to make available opportunities for you to talk confidentially with people just going to listen and say, okay, why not think about this? Or why not, why not meditate on this or read this book or whatever? So that's out there. Um, there's going to be other things. Uh, there's a, I'm going to challenge you one week to do a tech fast, right? To turn off the phone, the, the, the computer, the TV for a week. Now, I know some of you are going, well, I can't turn off my phone. Uh, or I can't, I, I work, I've got I to gotta be on a computer. Okay, great. You've got to be on a computer at work, fine. Be on a computer at work. Absolutely, I get it. And some of you go, well, I've got young kids, or I've got kids, I've got to keep my phone on. I mean, how would I know if they needed to get a hold of me? Great, keep your phone on. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that happens. Uh, there's a whole lot of, of, of time on computers that is not related to that. There's a whole lot of TV that's being watched. There's a whole lot of radio that's being listened to in a car. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push and say, why not give God a chance to speak through some of those down times and quiet times. So we're going to do that. We've got something coming up uh, this, this Saturday for the men. We've got a breakfast that's happening. We're, we're having a speaker talk more about resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. It's a breakfast on Saturday morning. So we're, we're going to be introducing a lot of things along this pathway. Uh, I want to encourage you to take some risks and take some steps. And, and I just want to I'll, I'll go back to where I started and say, look, God wants you to lean in. He wants to be a bigger part of your life. He loves you, whoever you are. He wants to be a bigger part of your life. And there are obstacles to that. And today those obstacles are the fast pace of life and all the information that's coming at us. And it tends to make us very wide, but not very deep. And so you have to own that for your own self. And the goal is to go deep. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. Uh, there, there are people who we get a chance to see grow deep in Scripture. Peter is one of them. Peter in the Gospels is a flake, right? He's, a, he's an impetuous guy who's always getting in trouble. He's not thinking anything through. The Peter who writes the epistles, First and Second Peter, is a completely different guy. The Peter at the end of the book of Acts is a person of great wisdom and depth and a relationship with God. We can change. We can grow deep. And that's the goal for this series. Let me pray for us. Um, Heavenly Father, we just want to pause and ask for a way forward. Um, We live at a time when there's lots and lots and lots of upside and lots of things to do and lots of opportunities. But it can make us... uh, 
very wide and not very deep. And we want to cultivate a depth, uh, a, a, a connection with you. We want to cultivate an inner world that is strong enough and wise enough and, and uh, shaped by you to such an extent that it, it informs the way we live. And that our outer world is not shaping our inner world nearly as much as that inner world is shaping our outer world. So, I pray to that end. Um, meet with us, guide us, lead us into greater connection with you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.